Hello students and welcome back to uh, more lore of the Iron Kingdoms with me, Professor Caster. Today we're going to be discussing the Particulate of Meaneth Warcasters and we're going to get through some of the major Warcasters first and then we'll be going over the lesser known Warcasters or the Warcasters that don't show up as much in the histories and lore that we'll be reading. But we will be discussing them probably in a future video or videos depending on how many there are. Today we'll be discussing Severus and all his renditions, the Harbinger, and the High Reclaimer and both of his renditions. And before we begin, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to our lore. And if you could, or if you're enjoying this, please like, subscribe, let us know how we're doing. Please comment. Always fun to see what you guys have to say. And please let your friends and fellow gamers know about this YouTube video. It does help increase our class size, which is always good. And thank you again, Privateer Press, for letting us read your fantastic look. And let's begin with Severus. And we'll be starting with his Zero Rendition. Because we actually have some lore for Severus that is way before he even became a Grand Scrutator. Let's begin. Scrutator... Pnitit Severus. Severus loyally served multiple hierarchs in his time as a Scrutator and was a significant voice in the cast even before being elevated to the leadership over all of the Protectorate's military forces. As a Scrutator potentate, Severus saw fit to support Voil in his bid for power, accelerating the great ruler's rise to hierarch. When he wasn't striding fiercely into foreign lands as a missionary to convert unbelievers to the faith, Potentent Severus was a formidable presence in battle. He manifested holy power, inspiring zealots and warriors, and from the start he showed his facility at wielding the warjacks of the Protectorate against the Theocracy's enemies. So even in his youngest days, he was still a voice of the cast, so that is fun to know. But let's read his Mark III to Mark IV changes and see what he's got going on. Alrighty, it appears his stats haven't really changed. Still a speed 6, still a mat 5, still a defense 15, arm 15, still has a arc attack of 5, and still has a control of 10 inches, and still has a point cost of 5, so at least that didn't change very much. And of course, he still is has his ability to control Warjacks, so that is nice. But let's go over his abilities. That's usually where the major changes usually take place. Alright, it looks like he has kept his Eye of Meaneth, which gives every model, or every friendly faction model, in his control range of 10 inches, a plus one to their attack and damage rolls. So that's kind of nice just to have him around on the field. And then his spell list looks like it got a little smaller. Uh, he still has his immolation in Mark IV, so he can still, you know, shoot fireballs at people and then critically catch them on fire. And then he still has Mystic Wards, which uh, enemy upkeep spells and animize in his control range immediately expire and arcane attacks in this model's, or targeting models in this model's battle group suffer minus five to their range. So at least he still has those two spells. Looks like he lost his Road to War. Which uh, is kind of here nor, here nor there because it's kind of an expensive spell to begin with. But Mystic Ward actually went up a point cost too, so maybe that's his high end spell. But that is what we got with him. Also, his staff is still a magic weapon and is still a range 2, pound 12 staff, so he didn't lose much on there. If anything, I think he just became more efficient with his use of focus. 
And of course, as a Meaneth Warcaster, having the ability to cast fire is pretty much all you need. So there we go. But let's move on to his Grand Scrutator Severus. I call him Severus. I wonder if it's Severius? Severus is just easier for me to say quickly, so we'll keep going, Severus. Grand Scrutator Severus. Scrutators require a singular strength of presence. They belong to the inner circle of priests responsible for policing the clergy itself, who in turn controls the entire protectorate of Meneth. They must be able to overwhelm the minds of the faithless and instill in them a feeling of piety, servitude, and fear of the divine reckoning. Scrutators cannot show the slightest weakness or doubt. Grand Scrutator Severus is the stoutest pillar holding up the Grand Temple of Meneth. He commands the entirety of the Protectorate military and answers only to the Hierarch. Severus has single-handedly converted thousands of heathens and infidels to the true law. In the past decades, he's marched far afield into other nations as an unofficial ambassador of the faith. One too powerful to ignore and too dangerous to confront, after the particularly fruitful trip to the Kodor in 570s, he was banned from that nation. For thousands abandoned the motherland and answered his call to join the Protectorate. Because the Protectorate has since mounted increasingly militant and aggressive crusades, Severus has ceased his mission in order to focus on leading Menite forces to end battle. Conversions remain a priority, but he conducts it now on subjugated villages and towns whose defenders have been slaughtered or driven away. In a parallel to Minot's ancient war with the Devourer, Severus lives to battle the enemies of his faith. He has a powerful thirst for the destruction of blasphemers and brings a commanding presence and undeniable genius to the battlefield. His warjacks come alive with the same fervor as his converts. His plans are laid well in advance, for he has a brilliant grasp of both strategy and tactics. Indeed, Severus has a plan in motion that will not come to fruition until far past his lifetime. While he is a visionary, he is also deeply traditional and strives to return the world to a state ordained by Meneth at the dawn of civilization. Age may have withered the warcaster and stolen his former strength, but what, lacks, what he lacks in bodily prowess he makes up for with divine power. As the blaze of Minot's wrath, he is able to breach the minds of non-believers with a single word. So potent is his righteousness, he wades through otherwise deadly arcane attacks as if they were no more than illusion. Severus is the eye of the hurricane and a center of focused spiritual control, willing to annihilate anything around him that threatens his faith. Severus's divine nature is so strong that if he so chooses, he can thunder out a litany of Minot's declaring the Creator's glory. With a great boom, this divine right reverberates to all enemy warcasters with an earshot, rendering their blasphemous connection to their impure mechanica. This litany proves that all things are Minot's, and neither pagan sorcery nor heathen witchcraft can stand against him. Through Grand Scrutator Severus, Minot's glory is unmistakable and his voice shall be heard. Weirdly enough, I've never had to go up against Severus, but I heard that he is a great auditor of the faith, and that's why he is so good at getting converts. Also, he is not super strong like some of the Kodorns that we've talked about in the past, but he is a very good talker, so that is that. But let's see what his Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes include. 
Alrighty, appears he still has his same stat line. Uh, same speed of 5, same mat of 4, yeah, because he's a little older now. Uh, his defense dropped to 14, his arm dropped to 14. Uh, he still carries his same staff, Staff of Judgment. Um, still a swinging of 2, still a magical weapon, and still a power 13, which is a little bit better than his previous weapon, but I uh, imagine it all, since all Aminath weapons are more artifacts that show the faith, I imagine that's probably why it's a little bit better in the hand of a Grand Scrutator. Uh, and he is still a a focus of eight. However, their control, his control area, dropped back to 14 inches, uh, just because your control area is no longer twice your focus, uh, because <laughs> certain warcasters uh, really got screwed over pretty hard with that, especially the five to six focus warcasters. So. Let's go over his spell list and see what's changed there. Or his ability list. We'll get to the spell list. Alrighty, in his abilities, he still has his Eye of Meanith ability, which gives all friendly faction models within his control range a plus one to attack and damage rolls, which is insane. And then he also still has Sacred Ward, so he cannot be targeted by enemy spells, which is awesome because I have been hit with an enemy spell once or twice, and it's never a fun time when that happens in the field. But let's go over his spell list and see what has changed there. Alright, appears he still has Ashes to Ashes. It's still a cost of 3, still a range of 8, and still a POW of 10, and then it still causes D3 uh, nearest models to be hit within 4 of this model for another POW 10 damage or fire damage rolls on that. Uh, he still has a Death Sentence, um, still a cost of 2, range 8. Upkeepable, yes. And a death sentence allows you to reroll missed attack rolls on enemy target models slash units. So that's nice. Uh, we still have Defender's Ward, which is a, a cost three range six upkeep spell that gives target friendly faction models slash unit a plus two defense and a plus two arm. So that's nice, just a good solid defense armor spell. And appears he still has his immolation spell, so he can still catch people on fire. Uh, still a cost of two, range eight, pound 12, and still has the critical continuous fire effect. So fantastic. And then looks like he also still kept his influence, uh, which is a cost two, range 10 spell, and allows you to take over target enemy non-leader warrior model. And then you can make one basic attack, and then it expires. So that's always fun to have. And then he still has his Vision spell, which is a cost 2, range 6, upkeepable spell. When target friendly faction model is directly hit by an attack, you can choose to have it suffer no damage from that attack, and then Vision expires. So his spell list hasn't changed, his stat line hasn't changed, outside of his... Uh, outside of his control range having to drop to a 14 instead of its original 16, so I think that's the only downside. But let's read over his feet, see if that's changed. Alrighty, well, the only thing really changed on his Divine Might feet is the wording. Um, the wording was originally, uh, in set while in Severus control range, enemy models cannot cast spells or be used to channel spells and enemy warcasters, and warlock models suffer minus two focus and minus two fury. Uh, they just cleared up that last sentence by enemy leaders suffer minus two arc because now there is no real focus or fury. It's just arc, so it just makes it a little easier for the wording. But that's it, last one round. So 
As far as his Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes, really didn't change much at all outside of some wording differentiations there and his control range dropping down. Uh, he is still a fantastic model for utility reasons. He makes everybody around him a little bit better with Death Sentence, with Defender's Ward, with Influence, with Vision. He makes his units and guys around him just last all that much longer. And for anybody who's gone up against Meaneth, you don't want to have that battle last any longer than you can stop it because, well, a lot of fire can, you know, do a lot of damage to a lot of things very quickly. So, but let's read his next rendition, his final rendition. Hierarch, or Hierarch. I just call him Hierarch, that's easier for me to say. Hierarch Severus. Demonstrating steadiness and surely that belly his age, Severus inspires his followers to transcend their humanity and become an extension of the Creator's will. Those who attend him can feel the power of unchecked divinity in his words and deeds. When he raises his hand against his enemies, righteous fire blazes forth to grant them a final lesson in pain and humility. While believers look on his robed form with an awe and adoration that gives rise to tears, others see him as an incarnation of pure terror and a reminder that the shaper of man can just as easily reduce his creations to ash if, if it depleases. The death of Hyark Voyle could have been a cataclysmic blow to the Protectorate to see the most potent Menite since the days of the Priest King struck down by the heathens. The very moment victory over their oppressors seemed assured was staggering. The priesthood froze in despairing disbelief in those first terrible hours. The Viscos and senior priests remembered too well the years of chaos and uncertainty in the wake of Hierarch Ravenel's passing and the bloody struggle that had followed as Voyle seized the reins of power. The presence of the Harbinger of Meaneth, however, reassured the priests in Sol and Emmer and reminded them they did not lack for guidance. To them, she said, the next Hierarch walks among you, carving a new domain in the north, uniting the faithful. The rise of Severus marks the first time a Hierarch gained power so quickly and with such irrefutable approval from the creator of man. Severus no longer refuses authority as he had as Grand Scrutator when he had removed himself from the political arena to demonstrate his determination to fight on the battlefield. He takes the burden of leadership in stride, knowing the Protectorate must heed a single voice in its time of war. Likewise, Severus knows his place remains at the fore of his crusade. He is determined to remain on the field of battle in his role as the anointed Priest General. His hierarchy has proven to differ dramatically from Ravenel's and Voyle's. Theirs was time of preparation, of building the machinery of war, readying the martial orders, and constructing factories and mines to support the coming crusades. Hierarch Severus has taken up the weapons his predecessors forged and decided to leave the trivial matters of the temple bureaucracy to the Synod and Emmer. Before his elevation to Hierarch, Severus spoke the words inscribed in script of blazing fire within the covenant of Meaneth outside Laren, invoking its terrible power as foretold by prophecy and confirmed by the visions of the Harbinger. This unleashed power awaits his command to turn any enemy of the faithful to ash. The pyres of these heathens transforming the land into fire stirs the hearts of those who have faltered in their faith, restoring them to the righteous worship of Meaneth. He has witnessed the return of the testament of Urcane and has vowed to employ the Harbinger, or Harbinger sorry, to swell the ranks of the faithful. 
The path of the future lies open and clear to him. The Hierarch has taken it as his life's work to unite Menites of Western Amoran and spread the true law to all humanity. Those answering his call will usher in a new age by hammering the cathedrals of Morrow to rubble and erecting new temples to the lawgiver. The younger wayward faithful will bow to Meneth or perish utterly. Well, Hierarch Severus, the time of preparation is done. His time is the time of action, which for the Protectorate and their Holy Crusade, that is, should be terrifying to every Amaro, Theramite, and pretty much anybody else who goes against the true law of Meneth, of course. Um, yeah, so he seems terrifying. But let's see what his Mark Four or Mark Three to Mark Four changes are. I'm going to say probably not much, but he is a very powerful caster, um, regardless, because he is a, a very high-focus caster. So let's check it out. Alrighty, it appears the stat line really hasn't changed for our grand old Severus. Uh, he's still a speed 5, he still has a mat of 5, well, actually his mat went up to a 5, so his mat's better in this newer form than it was in the uh, older form. His defense and arm is still a 14, his arc is still a 8, and his control area is a 16, so I guess they kept that. Uh, as far as his standard abilities, he still has uh, Field Marshal Oracle Vision. So every model in his battle group, or cohort as they call it now in Mark IV, uh, can spend one focus per turn to immediately negate all damage roll from an attack. So that's kind of awesome. Um, they did remove Arcane Power, so he can't, uh, he can't upkeep a spell without spending a focus. Unfortunately, they took that out. Uh, his weapon is still the same, still a still a range 2 power 13 uh, magical weapon that explodes, you know, fire to the D3 nearest models within 4 inches, uh, suffer a POW 10 damage roll. So that's kind of epic, so getting more bang for your buck if you get this guy into melee. Uh, his spells are basically the mostly the same. He still has Arcane Ward, so he still gives guys plus two defense. And then they can't be targeted by enemy spells. He still has Ashes to Ashes, so that is still a range eight POW 10 spell that if you hit, if you directly hit the target, it jumps off to D3 other targets within four inches and does another POW 10 fire damage rolls to those guys. Uh, he still has Creator's Wrath, Although they shorten the Crater's Wrath, so the Spellcaster gains an additional die on melee attack and melee damage rolls. And his weapon is Blessed. Originally it was, it just removes spell effects that give uh, target arm and defense, but Blessed is the same thing, so I guess they're just like, okay, yeah, we'll make that work. Um, then he still has Hex Blast. Um, so everybody aware of Hex Blast is a, a range 10 AoE. On that one although with the update there is no longer AOE so it is a POW 13 POW 8 and the AOE is a 2 so two nearest models within two suffer the POW 8 on a direct hit and enemy models and upkeep spells anime yada 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 uh, the all of their upkeep spells jump off so that is that and then awareness has been changed out for Mage Sight, which makes sense. So while in the Spellcaster's control range, models gain Isla Sight, instead of them just being able to ignore cloud effects and forest terrain and intervening models when just determining line of sight. So I guess they shorten that to make that a little bit 
little bit better or a little bit easier to read. Although I don't think uh, Idlis Sight ignores Force Terrain. Not entirely sure about that. You'll have to check that on your own. Uh, one of the spells they took away from him was Rebuke. And Rebuke was a target model cannot give orders, receive orders, or make power attacks. And I believe they probably took that out because the whole orders thing has been mostly taken out. Although the make power attacks and special attacks, that would have been cool. But I think they were just trying to remove that spell off the list. And then basically his his feat, Fires of Communion, is the exact same thing as it was before. D3 plus 2 enemy non-leader models. Uh, you can choose D3 plus 2 non-leader models. Uh, and if you do, they suffer a, a boostable POW 12 magic attack roll. And if they are boxed, they're removed from play. And where they were stands an AOE template that if enemy models walk into that template ending or beginning, entering or ending their activation in the AOE, they suffer a POW 12 damage roll and continuous fire effect. So outside of his spell list changing very minimally, uh, he is still the same epic warcaster. He's just a lot better at hitting stuff than he was before because on his mat 4 to a mat 5, that's still significant. And with his with his creator's wrath, uh, that's just adding an additional die to his melee attack and melee damage rolls. You can still boost it. So for a guy with a 13 weapon, being able to boost it up to a 4 dice on a damage roll is still pretty significant, especially since it jumps off and hits other people. So, yeah. Weirdly enough, for an old man, he still makes a pretty decent melee model. But yeah, that is Hierarch Severus. The most dangerous and highest uh, highest amount of focus right now. So, but let's move on. The Harbinger of Meenith. In late 603 AR, three scrutators and a score of Knights Exemplar arrived in a small village just north of the ancient Ichthyr. To escort a teenage girl to Emmer, calling herself the Harbinger of Meenith, she said the Creator had come to her in a vision and declared her too holy to touch the earth, and she had floated above it ever since. As the Harbinger traveled to Emmer, word spread and whole communities emptied as the faithful followed her. At sunset, the Viscos assembled in the sovereign temple of the One True Faith and faced the young woman floating in a blood-red sunlight. She described her vision and the voice that filled her. She singled out individual Viscos by name, speaking of things they hid even from each other. Finally, she turned to the High Art Garrick Voile and smiled just as the great sand clock struck the tenth hour of her trials. The High Art pointed to the floor where her shadow lay unchanged by all that time. Voile bent his knee and asked if she would serve as his personal spiritual advisor. The years that followed reinforced the fact that the Harbinger is a direct conduit of Meenith, as countless miracles have transpired in her presence. She unreservedly endorsed Hyark Voile when he called for a pilgrimage for all Midnights to witness her divinity. The appearance of the Harbinger is heralded as the single greatest religious event in Western Imorn since the discovery of the Canon of the True Law. The Harbinger proved her commitment to the faithful when she went forth to confront a darkness in the Thornwood prophesied to threaten all Menites, both living and dead. There she gave her life to release the souls of thousands of Menites, captured and enslaved by the Orgoth before they could be used to fuel for an even greater evil instigated by the Lich Lord of Crix. 
All the protectorates mourned when her body was returned to Emmer, and hundreds of thousands of witnessed the miracle of her resurrection. Minot's message was clear. The Harbinger had not yet fulfilled her divine destiny on Cain. When Voyle prepared to lead the crusade into Caspia itself, the Harbinger reminded him of Solon's final prophecy. Doom would befall any hierarch who entered Caspia before the divided city was made whole. Voyle ignored her warning and she silently accompanied him into what he believed would be his moment of triumph. Hours later, Voyle stood at the edge of total victory in Caspia when Hubris overwhelmed his devotion to the lawgiver, leading to his death. Recovering her from her own wounds received in the conflict, the Harbinger saw Hierarch Voyle buried with full state honors and decreed Severus his replacement, ensuring a smooth transition. Following the onset of the Great Crusade, the Harbinger journeyed north to join the new Hierarch and renew his efforts to reach the faithful in enemy lands. There she proved her willingness to personally wade into battle, where she is immeasurably powerful and possesses and the ability not only to command warjacks, but also to decimate whole companies of men with divine magic and her unnerving sword, Providence. Infused with the glory of Meneth, she is a beacon to the devotion that has reinvigorated all Menites who have beheld her. With the Harbinger leading the way, the crusade continues to storm across western Amorn, uniting the faithful while releasing the wrath of the lawgiver on those who defy Meneth. Yes, the Harbinger of Meneth, she never touches the ground, literally has guys around her with chains trying to hold her in place so she doesn't, you know, ascend, basically. Well, I don't think she's going to ascend, but she definitely floats around pretty, pretty interestingly, and her sword never misses. I don't think that has anything to do with her martial prowess, but yeah, her sword just automatically hits anybody she's trying to hit, which is uh, very terrifying, especially since her sword is a POW-12 magic-type weapon, and yeah, if you never have to roll an attack, that is that is just awful. Also, word on the street, uh, because we're not sure how Voyle died, we just assume that, you know, he was killed by Signarans, but uh, there might be conflicting reports because the Harbinger was there too. And uh, with a sword that never misses and her giving him the warning, hey, don't try to attack Caspia. Yeah, she may or may not have had some uh, had something to do with his downfall, but the wor world may never know what happened exactly. So we'll move on from there. Uh, but let's see what this Ascended Beans uh, Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes were because uh, she is a powerhouse of a warcaster, even compared to uh, Severus himself. She is, well, better, well, as far as magic goes, but let's read over it. Alrighty, well, as far as her stat line goes, she's still a speed 6, still a magic 10, which is insane, although her control area was nerfed down to 16, which is still pretty dang good. Uh, her mat is 3, although that really doesn't matter since, you know, she automatically hits anything with her sword thanks to its ability. Uh, she's still a defense 14, still an arm 14. Uh, and her abilities are basically the same, although she lost one that she gained a spell for later, but we'll read on that in a sec. But she has Divinity. This model cannot be knocked down and never suffers blind, which is awesome. But then she also has Martyrdom. So when a friendly, a faction, non-leader warrior model within 10 inches of her is disabled. Uh, she suffers a D3 damage roll to remove one damage roll or one damage point from that disabled model. So if she keeps him alive, 
Um, this is actually a little bit better than her original motor gun, which was D3 plus one. Now it's just a straight D3, so you don't have to worry about her getting dinged with four points. Uh, her sword providence is still guided, so it automatically hits anything. Its attack rolls automatically hit. It is still a, a range one pound 12 magic weapon, so that's great. Uh, her feet, she still has a godhead. Still works basically the same. Um, enemy models advancing while within 10 of her, if they end their movement closer to her than they began, they automatically suffer a POW 14 fire damage roll, which is awful. And which would kill most, uh, most you know, normal models anyway, so it kind of freezes people in place if they don't want to lose all their stuff. Uh, one of her big spells she actually lost in the Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes is Cataclysm, which was the spell that reduced, uh, Reduce the damage by one for every full inch between her and the target. Uh, so unfortunately, that has been removed. Um, she saw his Crusader's Call, so she still gives friendly faction models plus two movement while within her control range with that spell. Um, she still has Guided Hand, um, so model a target friendly a faction model slash unit gain additional damage die or an additional attack die to each of their attacks this turn. Um, she was given the spell Enfeeble in Mark IV, uh, because since they removed her Awe from Mark III, which gave every enemy model a minus two to their attack roll while within uh, while within her command range, they removed that, and I guess they just added Enfeeble, so it's more of a targeted. But Enfeeble is a little bit better because it's a minus two to the attack and minus two to the damage roll, so that's a little bit better, and it's upkeepable. Always nice to have an upkeepable uh, nerf spell for the enemies, especially since there's not really any way to get those off. Um, looks like she was given the spell Obliteration. I guess uh, maybe that's just so she can have a damage doing spell since Cataclysm was removed. Uh, but Obliteration is a range 10, uh, AoE 3, 15, 8. And at a cost of 4 to a Warcaster who has 10 focus, that's really not that much of a ding to them. Uh, and on critical hits, all the models are knocked out. And then they removed Rebuke, so she no longer gets the Rebuke spell. Um, I think Severus was the same one who also had his rebuke removed as well. His rebuke was rebuked. <laughs> um, and then she still has purification. So uh, continuous effects, anime, and upkeep spells in the spellcaster's control range are immediately expired. So she can really control the field real well with all these spells. And yeah, uh, is she as good of a melee as Severus with his spells? I don't think so. Although, being able to just hit anything that you're trying to hit, like, that's not bad, but she is mostly board control type of a warcaster, so she's still very dangerous, and she still controls the enemies real well, especially her feet, stopping everybody in its tracks, unless they want to lose entire units of men. And even Mana War being hit with a POW 14 fire damage roll from that feat would be, would be very hurting on that one, so. And it's unboostable, so, you know, the small, small, uh, Small things count on that one. But yeah, no, she is still super powerful. It's just the loss of Cataclysm and the, the loss of Awe, though being replaced by a spell, still makes her a very dangerous on the field. So, But yeah, that's what we got, so let's move on. The High Reclaimer. Meaneth creates and he destroys. It is the job of the Reclament Order to assist in the latter. They are an extension of Meaneth's will, and they return souls to the Shaper of Man to add strength to his wars and arcane. Even other religious orders of the Protectorate balk 
at the unbending standards and principles to which reclaimers adhere. Before walking from the unadorned cells in which they live and eat in solitude, they don masks of iron that will never be removed. Their last spoken words are their oaths to the order before the masks are sealed and forever after no words escape their lips. Even their prayers are silent. One man who took the oath of the reclaimer's last breath has risen above his peers. Through this man the divine powers meaneth flow without effort as he sends forth clouds of burning ash and causes the unworthy to burst into flames consumed with brutal agony before their lives are snuffed out and their souls sent to Urkane. Early in his reign, Hierarch Voyle publicly recognized him as the High Reclaimer, a title denoting absolute unity with the will of the Lawgiver. Never before had a man of this order demonstrated the Warcaster talent, and it was immediately obvious that he would bring tremendous strength to the upcoming Crusades. Those soldiers who have marched at the High Reclaimer's side in battle attest that they know his will without being told. To prepare for each upcoming conflict, he spends countless hours in meditation and tests his limits with a rigorous regiment of exercise and fasting that tempers his body into corded muscle and sinew akin to iron. And battle his sole weapon is a ceremonial torch called cremator that is kept aflame by the continuous supply of concentrated Minot's fury. One crushing blow from the great weapon smashes limbs and collapses torsos, rends warjack armor like mortified flesh, and ignites anything it does not immediately demolish. No one is safe from reclamation. It is said Minot's whispers to the High Reclaimer during his prayers, naming those who are to be returned to him. Enemies, allies, and even so-called innocent bystanders are often reclaimed with no more foreknowledge than the sudden pressure of the crusade's grip or the cremator's hiss as it delivers the killing blow. Even lesser reclaimers know they must not be deficient in their duties, for failure means their own reclamation, perhaps by the high reclaimer himself. Well, that's kind of convenient if, you know, he's just like told that, hey, you should kill these people. Because honestly, I feel like in battle, like, you know, I don't know. Sometimes with the Meenith guys, like, oh yeah, the Meenith told me to kill them. I'm like, did he though? Did he? Did he really? Or are you just doing this to do this? But yeah, the High Reclaimer is a scary dude that utters no words, utters no prayers that you can hear, and swings a flaming mace around, which is terrifying in its own right. But he is a terrifying guy to go up against. But let's read his Mark Three to Mark Four changes and see what kind of terribleness he can inflict on people because he is a, a big user of fire like most Aminath casters are. Alright, there appears to be some big changes on this guy that are awesome. So, we'll start with his stat line. His stat line has increased, actually. He's still a speed 5, although his mat has been bumped up from a 6 to a 7, so he's a little bit better at hitting stuff. His defense is still a 14. His arm is still a 16. His magic or focus ability has jumped up from a 5 to a 6, so gives him a little bit more focus to play with. And he is a control of 12, so that's a little bit better. His abilities normally, uh, he still has Soul Taker, so he can reclaim. Uh, when a friendly living model is destroyed while within this model's control range, uh, he gains that model's soul token, and then at the beginning of your control phase, all that soul is turned into focus, so it makes him even more dangerous. 
However, on top of that, he still has his Soul Storm ability. So while he has Soul Tokens on him, any enemy models entering or ending their activation within two of them automatically suffer one point of damage. So any one point or one damage type models will just get decimated trying to attack this guy. And it's within two. So even if they have reach weapons, unless they have like, you know, chain weapons that have a three inch, they're going to be taking that one point of damage, killing him off pretty, pretty crazily. Uh, his weapon, he still has cremate. Uh, he still has his cremator. Uh, it's a mat seven now, easier to hit. Still a range two, still a power fourteen regular, and it's still a magic attack, and it still causes uh, continuous fire effect. And remember, continuous fire is great, but if he is attacking a model with a immunity to fire, he's still swinging with his normal power fourteen. So because it's still a, a bludgeon weapon, so there you go. Uh, his feet's still the same. It's still a D3 plus 5 friendly models are returned. And it's within... They're placed within 2 inches of another model in their unit instead of the original 3 because now 2 is a standard movement. And they must forfeit their normal movement or combat action that turn they are returned. And... And it doesn't say anything about them uh, not being able to return models that were just killed, so... We'll just call it that where it is. Uh, his spell list, he still has Ashes to Ashes, so he still has that spell. If he hits the one guy with the POW 10, it jumps off and hits the nearest D3 models at, within four inches with another POW 10, so that's great. Uh, he still has Burning Ash, so it's still a cloud effect that still causes a minus two to attack rolls to, models, to living enemy models that are in it that don't have immunity to fire. So he's still got that one. Uh, Hand of Fate has been replaced with Fortune. Uh, the original Hand of Fate was giving an additional die to attacking damage rolls, and then you discard the lowest roll. Uh, but it's been replaced by Fortune, which just allows you to re-roll any missed attack rolls. So, yeah, that is uh, that is great. Or re-roll them once. All right? So if you attack, you miss, boom, you can attack again. So, you know, gives everybody a second chance in that unit. Uh, he still has Immolation. Uh, which is his standard fire spell that uh, every every forecaster seems to have in the Meaneth group. Uh, it's a fire damage, and then it causes critical fire, suffer continuous fire effect. Uh, one of the major spells that was changed up is Sacrificial Lamb. So the original Sacrificial Lamb is up to two friendly warrior models other than the spellcaster can suffer D3 damage points. And for each damage point dealt, uh, this way to the model in the spellcaster's battle group. Oh, models in the spellcaster's battle group gain one focus. And they can't gain any more than three focus this way. Sacrificial can only be cast once per turn. Alright, so that old that old reading that's real complicated and kind of annoying has been replaced and simplified. And yeah, they don't do damage points anymore. But the new sacrificial lamb remove one friendly faction warrior model in the spellcaster's control range from play. Each warjack in the spellcaster's battle group that is currently in his control range gains one focus point. Then that's it. That's the whole spell. It still costs one one point. It doesn't have a weird damage issue because I feel like you can really, you know, jack up the old the old way that this was. So now you can just remove one guy and you just give one focus, that's it. But you can only still only cast this once per turn. Maybe it was a balanced thing. Probably a balanced thing, that would make sense. But yeah, the High Reclaimer has gotten better, I would say. Um, still, 
has all of his dangerous spells outside of the Hand of Fate being switched out. Um, with his new mat of seven, uh, makes him a lot more dangerous, uh, especially since he is a POW 14. And with the Soul Storm, kind of gives him an additional protection. And with an armor 16, still makes this guy real chunky to have to take on. So, yeah, he is a, a phenomenal powerhouse. But let's check out his next rendition, because that is, I imagine, more terrifying. And I was right. Testament of Meaneth. When the man known only as the High Reclaimer pushed open the gates of Emmer and disappeared into the blasted waste of the Stormlands, most believed he had gone to his death. Many feared he had chosen to reclaim himself in this time of great need. They were not wholly mistaken. Battling the whipping winds and flesh-scoring sands of the marches, the High Reclaimer pushed himself to the limits of life to open the forgotten and unseen gates of Urcane through which he would be reborn. Stepping into the dominion of the dead, beyond the walled city of man where the faithful are protected in death, he waded through relentless hordes of the unclaimed, suffering terrible wounds as they clawed at him for the warmth of his living body. He fought back the press with his weapon, Cremator, baptizing it in the ephoral ichor of ghosts and fallen souls and transforming the metal with every strike, earning it a new subsequent requiem. Finally, the dead thinned and revealed an ancient tomb-like city, a shadow of Ichthyr, inscribed with midnight scriptures never before seen by mortal eyes. The throng of ancient faithless were th was thwarted at the perimeter of this hollowed ground, allowing the High Reclaimer some respite to discover the temple dedicated to the Creator. At his arrival, the heavy doors of the vast shrine opened, revealing a lone tablet atop an ancient altar, the Omegas. Lifting the ancient tablet from its resting place of eons, the High Reclaimer began to read the text inscribed there in a tongue of unknown to man. His mind reeled as it filled with the Creator's law of the dead, saturated with holiness as old as life itself and imbued with the knowledge of those who wield it. The High Reclaimer set out to pass through the Urcane's gates back into the world of the living. He was prepared for the arduous return through the masses, but when the High Reclaimer exited the temple, he found an army of midnight souls holding back the restless tides. Fallen soldiers of the faith had cleared a path for him. As he walked, they moved with him as a barrier against the raging unfaithful. As one fell, two more replaced it, until the High Reclaimer again reached the gates between the worlds. Once again, among the living, the High Reclaimer has become something else a testament of Minot's will. He was bestowed the title by the Harbinger, his given name buried so that he exists only as the embodiment of the true law. Clad in new vestments and wielding his otherworldly weapon, the testament of Minot is a champion of a faith unlike any other. Having accomplished the impossible, crossing the gates between life and death, he is able to step between those worlds for a short time without paying heed to either the long as a soul lights his way. The testament's divine power was forged in the fire of the sacred oaths and tempered by the ancient words writ on the Omegas. With a mere gesture, he can draw back the curtains between the worlds to return fallen Menites to life and banish infidel souls to the hellish wastelands of Arcane, far from the reach of their lesser gods. The living fear him, the dead remember him, and Minot's will guides him. The testament has come to bring a new word to the realm of man. Well, that seems terrifying, because anybody that ever ends up in Urcane, well, at least the living people that end up in Urcane, usually come back a little tainted 
or crazy, but I guess this man's faith allowed him to wade through all these terrible creatures and just make him stronger. And he did not come back as a Grimkin or a uh, Defiler, so that's always good for him, especially, I guess, since he already went in with the faith of Meaneth with him. It kind of gave him more strength. But yeah, he is a terrifying man to behold now, and he can't speak of it because, of course, he is a uh, he is a reclaimer. So they don't talk anyway. But yeah, his will shall be done. But let's see what the Mark Three to Mark Four changes have in store for this guy. Alrighty, well, it appears he is a very similar to his earlier renditions. Uh, we'll start with his stat line. Alrighty, his stat line. Is he still speed five, so he's still pretty slow. Um, he still has his focus six from his last rendition. Um, his mat is still upgraded to a seven, so he's still a, a melee combatant. His defense is still a 14. His arm is still a 16. His control range is still a 12. Uh, his abilities on him, he still has, app or he has apparition, which during the control phrase, he can move two inches from his current location. Uh, he's still a soul reclaimer, so he still gains the soul like he did in his earlier rendition. So anybody in his control range that dies, he gains their soul. Alright. Um, he, he still has spell word from his earlier rendition. Earlier being Mark III, not, not his previous. Uh, he still has soul word, so enemy models cannot gain soul tokens from friendly models destroyed within six of him. Uh, it used to be five in Mark III, so now it is six inches. That's good. And then in Mark VI, they gave him an additional ability called Soul Phase. So this model can spend soul tokens at any time during his activation to gain incorporeal for one round, which is fantastic because not very many models have magical weapons to be able to hit incorporeal models. So yeah, that makes that even better. Um, he, he has Requiem, which was what his, his uh, pre-mater advanced to. Um, it's not really that different outside of it. I don't believe it has its special ability anymore. Well, it didn't have a special ability to begin with. So, it's still a, it still causes continuous fire and it's still a power 14 damage and still a range 2. So, that is that for that weapon. Um, his his feet didn't really change at all. Um, his still essence of dust. So, uh, it might read a little differently, but it's basically the same. Friendly faction models currently in his control range gain corporeal, and when declaring a charge or slam attacks or when making attacks, friendly faction models can ignore models in his control range when determining line of sight so they can run through people. Now, of course, I believe incorporeal models do not have a melee range when it comes to attack opportunities so they don't lose their attack when they're moving through. But honestly, not entirely sure. You're going to have to check that in your own game. Uh, you're going to have to check that in the book because just going off what I remember at this point. Because I know I usually use Breakthrough whenever I'm going in Corporeal to kind of fix that. But if I didn't have to use that, it'd be cool. But I'm not entirely sure. But then his spells are basically unchanged. Now, one of them actually changed a little bit of how it's spelled out or, you know, what it does, but it's the same name. So we still have Cloak of Ash, which uh, target-friendly model slash unit gains Ashen Veil, and Ashen Veil gives them concealment, so they get a plus two to their defense. But then when living enemy models without resistance to fire are within, you know, melee range, 
they suffer a minus two to their attack rolls. So it's kind of like concealment and then additional concealment for melee, which is kind of nice. Uh, one of the ones that changed would be would be Dust to Dust has been changed to Death of Dust. And Death of Dust just removes Boxed Model from play, which also removes its body and removes its soul token. Um, it used to be Dust to Dust, which still RFP'd the model. But then the original one left an AOE in its place, so no longer does that. Uh, then he has Hollowed Adventure, uh, so he can give target uh, cohort model in his in his battle group a Righteous Vengeance. So if a friendly faction model is destroyed with a while within five of that model uh, during maintenance phase, that model can move three inches and make an attack. So that's awesome. And then we, of course we have Revive took over Raise the Dead, which is basically the same. Uh, Target one friendly model, trooper model, and then you can return one destroyed grunt to that model's unit. Uh, you got to place them within two, and they have to forfeit either its movement or its combat action that turn when it's returned. And yeah, basically just a four spell caster. So he is, he's a great melee caster. He uh, he has some controls. He can bring people back from the dead, and he hands out, uh, and his ability to hand out. Uh, Incorporeal to his whole whole army is kind of uh, kind of insane because yeah that's something Minith did not need is for them to be able to walk their troops through other people's troops but uh, there you go you got it and uh, yeah he is phenomenal of a caster he looks cool his model looks cool so and he would be fun to play especially his ability to give himself Incorporeal just randomly it's kind of nice but. That will do it for today's Warcasters. Uh, next time we'll be talking about more of the Aminith Warcasters as well. Um, uh, we'll be talking about Fiora, including but not not limited to Durant, uh, Krios, Resnick, and what else we can fit into next episode. But if you guys are still here, thank you guys so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, let me know what you like. Let me know if you have any cool stories about Meanith Warcasters that we discussed today or ones you want to discuss in the future. And uh, thank you again, Private Your Press, for letting us read your fantastic lore. And as always, class dismissed. <laughs>